Okay. Um, I've got a lesson for you this morning. It is not what I had planned on preaching. A lot of times when, when we come to the end of a year and we start praying about what it is the Lord wants us to do the next year, it's been almost amazing how um, the Lord will give us uh, series and even topics that when we get to it, it's just like, wow, the things that are going on in the nation, things that are going on in the church, in the world. I mean, God just knows what he's doing. And I had a plan since way back like November of what we were going to do on Easter this year. And uh, about three weeks ago, as I was thinking about it, the Lord kept going, no, no, no. And I kept going, but Lord, no. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Have you ever just really kind of argued with the Lord? It's, it's, it's pointless to do it because he's going to win or you're going to be in sin. One or the other right there. So I sat down anyway and I was like, I'm going to write my own sermon, Lord, whether you like it or not. And it wasn't working. <laughs> It was amazing how bad it was going, just struggling to get anything down. And the moment I said, okay, Lord, we'll do it your way, it just went, and there it was. But we're starting a lesson series this morning called Questions Jesus Asked. And my lesson this morning is called Questions for Losers. Questions for Losers. I had to lose my plan for this morning to connect with God's plan. And I want to tell you about four losers and the questions that Jesus asked them. Now, understand, I'm not being a bully. I'm not calling people losers. I know people start getting triggered with certain words. We're talking about things that you lose to connect with Jesus, okay? So the first one we're going to talk about is the hidden loser. The hidden loser. There was a woman that, uh, as the Bible said, she, she had an issue of blood. She, she was bleeding, bleeding, and she'd been bleeding for 12 years, Something in her body was causing her to, to bleed all of this time, continue to bleed. And according to uh, Jewish law, that made her ceremonially unclean, which meant that she couldn't touch anybody. Nobody could touch her. She couldn't go out in public. She couldn't be around people for 12 years. Now, you can see how tough that this might be. Obviously, she had heard about Jesus somehow, and she said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. So this woman, who should not have even been outside, she should not have been around people, went out and pressed through the crowd. You understand? She's breaking the law. She's pressing through the crowd so she can get close to Jesus, and she touches the hem of his garment and here's the first question that Jesus asked. He said, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? In Luke 8, verse 45, the story goes on to say, when all denied it, because everybody's like, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't touch you. Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. He's obviously saying, Hey, Jesus, you're a little nutty right now, okay? Who's touching you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pushing in on you right now. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out 
from me. I want you to understand that faith always gets the Lord's attention. There's a lot of people reaching out and grabbing and trying to, hey, hey, Jesus, do this for me. Jesus, do this for me. Jesus, do this for me. But faith always gets the Lord's attention. There were a lot of people pressing on him that day, but one person pressed in by faith. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, not only does faith get the Lord's attention, but faith cannot be hidden. Faith cannot be hidden. This is not, faith is not something that we just hide. You hear some people say, well, I think faith is just very personal. You shouldn't talk about it. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Because if people hadn't talked about it, people like me would have never gotten saved. Somebody had to speak up. Somebody had to talk. Faith cannot be hidden. Says she came trembling and falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all these people why she had touched him. Faith also speaks. Faith also speaks. Faith has something to say. Because the world has a whole lot to say about you. The world wants to put all kinds of labels on you. The world wants to say, well, you're this, or you're this, or you're this, or you're this. But faith says, I belong to him. Faith says that I'm different. Faith says that something is about to change, even if it doesn't look like in the natural, it has changed yet. Faith speaks. Because remember, before she even touched him, it wasn't the hem of his garment. Understand, it was not just touching Jesus' robe that made her, made her well. She said beforehand, if I can just get to him, if I can just get to him. Sometimes it seems like everything is pressing against you. Everything wants to keep you back. But sometimes you just got to get to him. You just got to push through to get to him. So she declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Faith also tells a testimony. Has God done something for you? Has God done something for you? It's worth telling somebody else. Because there, pe- there are a lot of people in Tyler, Texas, this morning, even though it's Easter, They're not in church. Why? Because maybe something has happened that has turned them off to church. They wouldn't come in here and and listen to me, but they'll listen to you. You've got a Jesus story to tell. And God will put you right in the place where it's your Jesus story that will set somebody free. So we've got to be able to speak. We've got to be able to tell testimony. In verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. So she lost the disease that caused her to hide when she found her faith. Okay, I will. (laughs) She lost the disease that caused her to hide when she found her faith. So... What are you hiding from that faith can heal? What are you hiding from that God wants to heal? 
There was a time in my life when I was absolutely hiding from God. I was absolutely hiding from ministry because I had been hurt in ministry. Do you know how many people come in and out of churches and get hurt by Christian people? And let me just say, right now, because there's somebody in here that that has happened to, and it's still raw and it's still real. I'm sorry that that happened to you. It's not the way it should be. It's not the way that the Lord had planned it. But God still wants to connect with you. And there was a time when I got hurt in ministry and I was outside of church for like five years. Five years away from doing what God had called me to do. I just happened to be driving down uh, Broadway and I passed a big church one day and the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you went in that church, what would you be? I don't know, Lord. (laughs) A guest, an intruder, I don't know. What would I be, Lord? He said, a pastor. I went, what? I'm not on staff at that church. <laughs> what are you saying? Because I had made this vow. I would never be a pastor again. I would, I would never be on staff at a church again. I would never take a salary from, from a church again. That's three strikes. I was out. I'm driving down the road a little bit further, and we passed Target. And the Lord said, if you walked in there, what would you be? I'm slow, but I'm not dumb, okay? A pastor? He said, yes, because it's not about a title. It's not about where you are. It's about who I called you to be. And God has called you to be something. God has called you to be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. God has called you and he's equipped you and he's anointed you to do something. To do something. He knows what it is. So don't hide from it. Don't let the enemy cause you to hide from it. Press into who he's called you to be. It's time to lose what has kept us back so we can gain the kingdom destiny that he has for us. All right, the next loser, the checklist loser. The checklist loser. There was a man who came up to Jesus. We sometimes call him the rich young ruler. And he came up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the question Jesus asked him. Why do you call me good? In Mark 10, 18, the rest of that scripture there says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I'm going to be real honest with you. This, this verse used to bug me. It used to really bother me. Because it seemed as if Jesus was saying he wasn't good. Until I realized what Jesus was really doing. Because the man came up to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? There's only one that's good. So he's saying, are you coming to me as teacher? Are you coming to me as God? Because a teacher cannot get you eternal life. 
They can speak to you. They can say things. But only God can bring you to a place of eternal life. In Mark 10, verse 19, Jesus continued to speak to him. says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Checking the boxes. Look, I've done it, Lord. I've done it, Lord. I've done it, Lord. I've done it, Lord. But Jesus wasn't looking for just a rule follower. He was looking for total commitment. And he goes on in verse 21 and says, And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Once again, a teacher may tell you what to do, and you say, whatever. But when God looks at you and loves you, he wants to see a change in your life. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Come and follow me. Jesus loved him and wanted him to get free from the one thing that held him back from truly following him. But verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying. See, his, 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 his checklist didn't get him an A-plus from the teacher. It might have gotten him a, a, an A-plus from the teacher. Let me say it that way. He might have gotten an A-plus from the teacher. But God was saying there's one more thing. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, is having possessions a bad thing? Was Jesus saying you should never have any possessions? No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying don't let the possessions have you. So is there a happy ending to this story? Like a happy ending with, with, with the woman? I believe so. Now, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to give my opinion right here, okay? Everybody say opinion. You got them, I got them, right? I read a long time ago uh, a, a man that had, had done his doctrinal thesis. And the whole thing was about how Barnabas was the rich young ruler. And he said there's, there's enough circumstantial evidence to get an indictment. You might not get a conviction, but there's enough circumstantial evidence to get an indictment. And I want us to look at this real quick because uh, I think it's pretty powerful. In Acts 4, verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, now who are we talking about? <laughs> Joseph. I know, like, uh, what if I say it wrong? Joseph. We're talking about a man named Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. 
Now, this was a man that had been hanging around the apostles enough they gave him a nickname. His name was Joseph. They gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. But literally, it could be translated the son who was encouraged to do something and did it. The son who had been encouraged. The apostles knew him. They knew what he'd been encouraged to do. And he did it. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let's go back and think about the rich young ruler. If he's a ruler and he's Jewish, that meant he had to be a religious ruler, which meant that he was a Levite because the Levites are the ones that studied the law. The Levites were the ones that, that, that did the service in the temple. What did it say about Barnabas here? He was a Levite. So when he came to Jesus and Jesus said, go sell what you have, Levites weren't supposed to own land. When they got the inheritance, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, everybody got land except the Levites. So when he came to Jesus and Jesus started going down the list of, hey, this is what you should do, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. And he said, I've done all those. I've kept every one of them since I was a kid. And Jesus said, yeah, but there's one thing. There's one thing. You think that you're keeping the law and you think that you deserve something because of the law, but you've really broken the law. Go sell that land. Go get rid of what you think makes you rich. So he had been, in, he had been encouraged. Is this making sense? He had been encouraged. And he went from being Joseph to being Barnabas, in my opinion. So Barnabas likely lost his checklist to follow Jesus. So the question I ask you is, are we seeking an A-plus from a good teacher or are we seeking God? What is the one thing? And I promise you, we all have it. This is not a preacher standing up here going, you bunch of sinners. Every step that we make closer to the Lord, because he's continually drawing us closer to him. Every one of those steps, he'll go, yes, I want you to come closer to me. But there's this one thing that might be holding you back. We've all got a one thing. We've all got a one thing, and I want you to think about that. If the Lord was standing here before us and he was saying, here's one thing. Come and follow me with all your heart. What would that one thing be? Some of you go, I got a list. <laughs> but God doesn't do that to us. <laughs> What's that one thing? All right, let's move on. The next one is the religion loser. The religion loser. Saul of Tarsus was a religious fanatic. 
And he thought it was his duty to protect God, to protect the true religion of Judaism. He thought it was his job to make sure that nobody was blaspheming anything. He thought it was his job to persecute this small sect of believers who were following after a dead rabbi named Jesus. He thought it was his purpose in life until he found out one day that that dead rabbi was very much alive. And this is the question that Jesus asked him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Anytime you see in Hebrew writing or Hebrew speaking something said twice, that means there's a lot of importance on it. So when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What he was really saying is, Saul, I know who you are. I know right where you are. I know what's going on in you. I know everything about you. Saul, Saul. The name Saul means desire or desired. He desired power and authority to crush his enemies. That's a religious spirit. It is. If there's something in your heart that says, I want to crush my enemies, they are so wrong, they don't even deserve to speak or be alive or anything like that, that is not the Spirit of God. It's not. I heard a TV preacher say one time, I wish this was a Holy Ghost machine gun so we could just shoot all of our enemies. I don't want to be around that. In Acts 9, verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was power hungry until he met the ultimate power. He wanted authority until he met the authority of the risen Jesus. And when he ran into Jesus, when he saw Jesus, it blinded him. He couldn't see the truth of Jesus. And sometimes when we get, we get so full of ourselves, we don't see the truth of Jesus. All we see is people that we want to point fingers at. They're wrong. <laughs> Therefore, they're bad. Does that sound like our political system? <laughs> they're wrong. Therefore, they're bad. They deserve to be destroyed. Trying to be right without being righteous is dangerous. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. He told John, write this down and send it to the church at Ephesus. In verse 2, it says, I know your works, your toil, 
and your patient endurance. Now, those sound like good things, don't they? I know your works. We should be working for the Lord. I know your toil. That's beyond works, isn't it? That's strenuous works. And your patient endurance and how you cannot bear those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. We shouldn't just let anybody get up and declare the uh, doctrine and, and, and uh, speak for the Lord. Just anybody says, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm this. I'm that. You test the spirits. And you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently. And bearing up for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. All that's good stuff, isn't it? Standing up for the truth. Standing against evil. Standing against false doctrine. That's all good stuff. And you're you're working so hard at it, but you're not getting weary at it. That's all good stuff, isn't it? We'd pat ourselves on the back if the Lord said that to us. But verse 4 says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. So what does that mean? You can think you know everything. You can tell everybody you know everything. You can judge everybody else. But if you don't do what you do and you claim that it's God and you're not doing it in love, it is worthless. Is that too hard? But Saul lost his religious hatred when he met Jesus, and he became Paul. He had desire. He desired power when he was Saul. But when he became Paul, the name Paul means small or humble. He went from power hungry to humble. That's what happens when you truly see Jesus, when you have an encounter with Jesus. So here's the question, is there someone or a group of someones that you're withholding love from just because they're not right? They're not right. Yeah, but are you loving them? I don't want to love them. They're not right. (laughs) Jesus loved you when you weren't right. And here's the last one. The passionate loser. The passionate loser. This, This truly is my favorite part Besides that Jesus Christ is alive, thank God. But when we go and we read the resurrection story, I love this. Pastor Roger started reading it almost through my Bible and said, don't you get in my territory there. Mary Magdalene, she was the disciple. When Jesus found her, she was possessed by the devil. Okay, She was possessed by the devil. Scripture tells us that Jesus cast seven devils out of her. Cast seven devils out of her. And she was changed. And she was so changed by this man, so changed by this God that she had found, that she wasn't going to let a little thing like death keep her from worshiping him. In John 20, verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week. I I, I love this. On the first day of the week, 
in, in Jewish worship, you work six days and then you get a, a Sabbath. In Christian worship, Jesus did all the work, so you get a Sabbath. Right up front, right from the beginning, rest. Rest in what he's done. Rest and believe in what he's done. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb while it was still dark. Listen, don't wait until everything looks good before you start seeking Jesus. You go after him when it's dark, when it doesn't look good. That's when you seek Jesus. That's when you push into Jesus. That's when you go hard after him when it seems like the promise is dead. Look, she thought he was dead, yet she's still going to go worship him. She's still going to be who God had called her to be. In verse 11, the first part says, But Mary stood outside, stood weeping outside the tomb. And then here comes the question. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Second part of verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, let, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She had seen Jesus brutally beaten. She had seen him brutally murdered. She had seen him die on the cross. And let's be honest, while the boys were hiding, here she was. And Mary was so passionate about her Savior that she risked punishment to be out there. The Romans had put a guard out there to keep people from getting to Jesus, to to keep them from getting to the body. She didn't care. She didn't care. She went out there anyway. Could they have arrested her? Could they have have, uh, whipped and beaten her? Could they have crucified her? Every one of those could have been yes, but it was not going to keep her from Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, (laughs) the God of creation, the very one who had just defeated death and hell, knew her name. And he recognized her passion. So much so. Now listen to this. This is what I love about this this part of the story. So much so that he postponed the final act. The last thing that he was to do was to appear before God the Father. But verse 17 says, And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I want you to, if you don't get anything else this morning, you need to get this. That in the midst of everything else going on in the world, you matter. You matter. The passion coming out of one of his disciples so drew him that even before he had ascended to the Father, he stopped to tell her, it's okay. 
It's okay. Don't worry about it. Ephesians tells us Jesus, he who descended, is also the one who ascended. And it says that he led captivity captive, which really means that he had preached the gospel in in the lower regions in hell, if you want to say. And he was taking Old Testament believers to heaven with him. Where were those when he made this pit stop? You know what I like to think? I like to think, and this does get me excited, I'm sorry. I like to think that they're in the spirit realm. Here's all those Old Testament saints, and they're not going, hurry up, Jesus, we got to go. They're going, yes, yes, yes. Because they saw her passion too. And then he used this passionate loser to share the good news to the rest. Going on to verse 17, it says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord in such a way that it has changed you? I'm not asking you, did you grow up in church? I'm not asking you, have you been to uh, vacation Bible school? Have you encountered a risen Jesus and it rocked your world? Mary lost the demonic destruction and gained a living Lord. So here's my questions to you. Are you desperate enough to be a loser? Are you desperate enough to be a loser? Are you ready to stop hiding so faith can heal your hurts? Are you ready to stop hiding the turmoil on the inside? So Jesus can heal your hurts. Some of us have dealt with them for so long they've become identity. Well, that's just who I am. That's just the way I feel. That's just what happened to me. But Jesus wants to absolutely heal that. He wants to look at you and say, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. Are you ready to let go of the one thing so you can have a deeper, more rich relationship with the Lord? That one thing can still be the hurt. But maybe there's something else. There was was a time for me to go deeper in what the Lord had called me to do. I had to let go of a job. Is my job more important than my relationship with the Lord? And it wasn't a bad job. It was a good job. There's some people going, I'll let, I'll let go of my job for Jesus. <laughs> Are you ready to release pride so humility can take hold of your destiny? 
Are you ready to embrace a passionate, living relationship with the God who knows all of your faults but still loves you? Are you ready? If there's anything for us to hear on Easter Sunday morning, on Resurrection Sunday morning, yes, he is alive. Thank God he is alive. But if he's not living in you, it's not doing you any good. And if your relationship with him is not alive and passionate, you're never going to be who he's called you to be. And it's not something that you have to, to, to work up to. It's something you just go, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yeah, you may have to step through some fear. You may have to step through some stuff. Quitting my job was not easy. Well, quitting the job was easy. <laughs> Figuring out how I was going to pay for things was not easy. But the thing was, God was not asking me to be my own provider. That's what I was trying to be, my own provider. Well, God, how can this work if I do this? And God said, shut up and just do what I told you to do. Because when we do what he tells us to do, provision's always there. Healing's always there. It's always there. Step into it. Step into it. All right. We're going to take a little pit stop for a minute, okay? I hope you've heard something where the Lord has really just started to pull on your heart. But we're going to take communion. If you're online with us, I would uh, encourage you to, to grab a cracker, grab some bread, grab some juice, and just take this with us. Now, as we get ready to take communion, I want you to think about what we've just been talking about. Is there something that you're hiding? Is there a place of healing for you? whether it's in your soul, your, your mind, and your emotions, or if it's even in your body? Is there a place of healing for you? So we take the bread. And I always love to get people, just, just hold it up. Just, just hold it up to the Lord. There we go. There we go. You know, like in, anybody ever used to toast things? We're toasting you, Lord. Good job, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we take this bread. And Jesus says of Jesus on the, the night before he was crucified that he took the bread. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you. And some people try to think that that's, that's redemption. But if the breaking of the body was all that needed to happen, why did he need to bleed on the cross? He was doing something else for us. This is everything that we could, we could ever need in this, this material world, if you want to say. This is him meeting our physical needs. What do you need from him this morning? Do you need emotional healing? Do you need physical healing? He paid a high price for us. Lord, we thank you for the broken body. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. That your body was broken for us. And Lord, as we take this, we take it in faith, believing that our God is everything that we need. Whatever we need you to be, you are it. You are it. I receive that from you, Lord.
I receive that from you. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread. And then Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the new covenant. For the new covenant. Jesus was fulfilling the old covenant and bringing alive the new covenant. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood. Lord, I thank you that it was this blood that changed me. It changed my life. It changed my destiny. Lord, I thank you because of this blood. I am a son in the kingdom of God. Because of this blood, I sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Because of this blood, I am no longer a slave, but I am a son. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to shed your blood. Let's take it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we didn't come to church just to put on a new dress or a new shirt. We didn't come just to say, hey, I did did my duty on Easter. Lord, we've come to connect with you. There is no other reason to gather together except to connect with you to see you more deeply, to hear from your word, to be changed by your presence. So Lord, this morning, change us wherever we need to be changed. Lord, we refuse to hide. Lord, we we step into that one thing. Lord, we will not allow wrong thinking to keep us from being the people you've called us to be. But most of all, Lord, we just want to be passionate about you. Passionate about you. Passionate about you. And I'm just going to ask this morning, if you're here with us and you've never made a commitment to Jesus, a real commitment, a commitment where it's alive, You may have said some words every time you showed up for Children's Church, but have you ever told the Lord, I need you. I need you so much that I'm giving you all of me. I receive from you. I set aside my desires so I can connect with you. Jesus, come and be everything I need you to be in my life. If you're here this morning and and, and you've never done that, just quickly raise your hand. Quickly raise your hand. You may be here this morning and you say, I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm saved. But it's not been real and alive to me. I don't have that passionate relationship that you're talking about. If that's you, will you wave your hand at me? Father, you see the hands that are raised. 
And I'm going to ask you, just, yeah, I, I, I really do do this all the time. I just recommit my heart to the Lord all the time. You may be here this morning, you're going, I have a fiery relationship with the Lord. I'm so passionate about him. But I still just want to say, Jesus, on Easter Sunday, it's all about you. It's all about you. Could you pray that with me? Let's just all pray that. If, if you feel comfortable doing it, if you don't, that's okay. Those that raised your hand for salvation and those that raised your hand because you just, you just want that fire and passion back. Mean every word that you're saying, and God's going to do exactly what he promises you he will do. And for the rest of us, let this just be a recommitment as we walk out of here. We're doing this for the Lord. We live this life for the Lord. Would you do that with me? Just say, Jesus, I need you now more than ever. I have lived my life for me at times. But I want to live it for you. Lord, I repent for living my life that was all about me. I want it to be all about you. Jesus, come and consume me. Change me. Your word says, I'll be a new creation through Christ Jesus. That's what I want. I want to live this new life. I don't want it to be the same. I want to connect with you in a deeper way, more real than it's ever been so I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you mean it? If you meant it, he's gonna do amazing things in your life. Will you stand? Thank you so much for being here with us. I love looking out across here and seeing some that I haven't seen in a little while. And for a, a lot of the rest of you, just seeing us all here at one time. How about that? As you go, it doesn't matter where you're going. Maybe you're going to be with family. There may be some family that does not have the relationship that you have. Make them thirsty. Be salty. Be life to people. All right? Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for everything that you're doing in every heart and every life here. Lord, we give you glory for it in Jesus' name.